the Hello Meeples podcast, brought to you by no one in particular, with your hosts, Russell and Jennifer. Hello, Meeples. Hello. And yeah, put your phone away. So that is going out. I'm calling you out in front of the audience, like all five of them. <laughs> I have a business to run. <laughs> we both have businesses to run, and this is part of mine. Let's knock your coffee over. So that's not coffee. That's apple cider. Oh. It's good for the throat, and it tastes nice. It tastes like a fall day in medieval Tuscany or whatever. This will come full circle, I promise. It's actually <laughs> <laughs> We'll have something on here about this. Um so we're doing, this is one of the first podcasts that we've done that doesn't involve a bunch of different games. We're going to do a deep dive on a game that was actually a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, we just kind of came across this. Um, and I love I love the setting of this one because, you know, a lot of games have, especially ones that we will play, they'll have, you know, you have fantasy and sci-fi and and all that kinds of stuff. And this is one that I love the ones that just have like a, like a good old fashioned medieval setting, um, you know, based in reality. So, um, what, what's, what was another one that has like a medieval setting for us? Um, God, what's the one where you build a cathedral? We only played it. We've only played it a couple of times, but I still love it. It was based on the novel. Um, I, yeah, we played this one. Like we played it once or twice. It's called pillars of the earth. I do not remember that game um, at all. Uh, well, that's because we haven't played it in quite a while. And it's like the cathedral goes up in the middle of the board. Like as you're playing, it's the worker placement one where it's the person who contributes the most. Um, you get the points and stuff for building different for the different amounts that you build. And the building the cathedral is counts as like the uh, the it's like the timer, like every round, another piece of the cathedral goes up. And then when the cathedral's built, the game is done. Oh. And whoever's contributed the most wins we should pull that back out because i seriously do not remember this game at all we've played we can, so many that we can do that yeah. um but i like ones that just have like that just like a real medieval feeling and setting because i just you know love that setting in general and it's big for like fantasy and everything um so we were at a we decided to do a date night yes and, because that is very important you should date your significant other after 20 years, we still try and date each other. Especially if your wife says you have to. <laughs> so we... I pick out cool shit for us to do. Um, so we decided to go on a date night. And we went to one of our places that we like here in, in town called Last Die. Um, it's a great local place. If you're listening and you're from Reno, you should definitely go to the Glass Die. They're amazing. And if you don't follow them on social media, you should. Um, they are incredible people. They are an incredible business that has been hit so incredibly hard by this pandemic. And um, I just, I absolutely love them. And they, they survived by making a switch, uh, being a bar. Um, they couldn't sell, you know, alcohol or have anyone in there for a while. And so they switched to just retail and they brought in things that you couldn't find anywhere else. Yeah. Like it was great. I got like a ton of stuff. <laughs> for the Bloodborne board game, which is really hard to find. Um, and they had a bunch of it there, and they had it on sale. But <laughs> We'd go in there, and they'd just, we'd pile up on the counter. <laughs> and you'd always say, 
oh, I only need one thing. And I add on like six or seven other games. And that's when I fell in love with you all over again. Because um, I, yeah, I would be like, I think we're pretty good here. And you just go find more. And I'm sitting here going, I can do this too. Like I can go find a bunch of stuff every time we come in here. So we we went there because, you know, you can go there and they don't have food or anything, but they have alcohol and stuff. And by the way, like I joked about earlier, like all five people listening to this, like we're not getting paid by them. This is not a paid endorsement for the glass die. <laughs> this is just they are a great place to go to. And you can get like all kinds of different beers there and they have a huge I'm not talking like a little shelf of games, like one complete wall or more of their area is all games to choose from. And so we went there and we decided, well, are we going to just get a regular, are we going to take a game that we've already played, you know, just so that we can have a drink on our date night and play a game here? Or are we going to try something different? In which case we're going to have to do a thing to where we learn it as we read the rules, which in our setup, I usually, I well, not usually, I read the rules. Yeah, I tried once and that was a disaster. I'm just. I, I learned ugh. the rules. And I then the I teach everyone else how to play. We'll play the game and everything. Our certain our board game groups, we used to share that responsibility. I would learn one time. The other person would learn the other time. Um, so <laughs> Neither of the girls would learn and explain. Nope. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, well, we're going to have to go and just let's do something different. Let's find something that doesn't look too bad, you know, too complicated, too complex or anything, um, since we're going to have to learn it here and play it. And so we found this game called Era, the Medieval Age. We were like, oh, this little, well, actually, Jen, you told me just that it was my pick. You couldn't make up your mind. Yeah, there was a lot of good ones there, but I get nervous when you haven't played a game before. And I'm sitting here going, oh, my gosh, how long is it going to take to learn the rules? Because sometimes the rules can be really, you know, it's a Intimidating. risk. Well, the, this one I looked at and I was like, oh, here's a, a medieval game with a bunch of buildings in it. Like you get to build your own medieval town and stuff. Of course, I'm going to play this one. So I picked it out. We read through it, sitting down, having our drinks and everything. I think I had like some sort of berry ale or something. Yeah. Another and, really cool thing. Oops, I hit the table. Um, another really cool thing about this bar is that they don't serve like Budweiser. They serve like. Yeah, there's nothing. If you can buy it in a store, they probably don't have it there. Yeah, um, they have a lot of local brewers. That, yeah. And it's, then. I think some from like Northern California as well, but. And I'm totally a cheap date and from the South and I'm like, yeah, I do just drink Budweiser and Corona <laughs> and stuff. And so when I go there, I'm just like, oh, what's, what's something that like someone who is kind of a wuss drinker can drink. And they, they have some good wine, but they do so. need to expand their wine. But uh, anyways, sorry. And I digress, but they are an amazing bar and the whole purpose is to go in there play these games so while drinking. Well, we decided to play this. We set it down and we opened it and started looking at it. And I read through the rules and I kind of got hung up on, on one rule, but otherwise it wasn't too bad. Um, so the whole idea behind era is that you are, you have this town that you're trying to build and it comes with these little plastic boards, pegboards, all the different pieces or pegs and go in. And there's all these different buildings. You have, uh, you have your farms, and your longhouses, like your, your houses, basically, you have your um, your basic, uh, what's the word for it called? Your, um, it's not a market because the market is a separate building, but this is kind of like your, your, your merchant's houses. 
Uh, they have the cathedral, the, the, cathedral, the guild halls, hospitals, churches, lumber mills, um, all this stuff. And they're color-coded, which is pretty cool. So you, uh, it's kind of separated to yellow, which is the peasantry. And that's your, like, your farms and your, your houses, your longhouses. Blue is involved with commerce um, and trade goods. So that is your, um, your guild hall. And the other, I swear, I can't think of the name for the other building, the other blue building, but it's like your basic uh, merchant building. And then you have your white buildings, which are your churches, all of your religious buildings, because you don't just have churches. It's a, you have a church, monastery, and cathedral. Um, and then you have your brown buildings, which are kind of production. That's your lumber um, and your university. And then what's the other die you have? Oh, yeah, you have kind of your, your noble dice, which is fun, because, funny because those are the gray ones. And that's it. You have gray buildings, which are keeps and walls. And they have all different lengths of walls. And then you have these scorched areas, which are like the bad areas. And the whole idea is, is that you, you build this town based on how you want to spend all your stuff. And you, you roll dice. And all games, games are just, you know, there's something different about being able to roll dice. That's just a, like a big thing for me anyway. Um, plenty of great games that don't roll dice, but there's just something about rolling dice. It's fun. And so you have four different resources. You have trade goods, stone, wood, and food. So, you know, pretty basic, pretty basic setup there. With the pegboard, you have the parts there that keep track of that. Uh, and you start out with some wood, food, a little bit of stone, and no trade goods. You don't have any trade goods. You're very basic. Um, and you have like a keep, a few walls, a farm and a couple of houses. Like that's all you get to start with everybody. And you set up your town like the way you want it first. And then after that, um, you just start rolling the dice and the dice will have different uh, images on the face that will give you a stone, a wood or a food for each one that shows up or a trade good, which looks like a little treasure chest. Uh, there will be skulls, which are disasters and like unrest. Um, and then hammers for building. And every hammer you roll, every hammer that comes face up, you get to roll, you get to build one building. And so your whole turn is about risking it for, you know, how much do you want to build? How much do you want to get for your resources? Food goes to feeding. And so if you're not careful about that, you're going to wind up with a starving population. And that's, you know, not good. They're going to, you're going to have all kinds of bad disasters and stuff happen. Um, and you balance out how you want to do that. Because then all the different buildings have different costs between the food, wood, and trade goods. And obviously when you get up to the really bigger, higher up buildings, like the cathedrals and the guild halls and universities, you got to have those blue trade goods. And so you got to start buying those buildings because you don't get any of those at first. Uh, and each, some of the buildings will give you a die and you have the four different color die. You have the yellow, blue, um, gray, and then the white from the religion, uh, the religious places. And, um, the blue from the commerce places, the yellow for your peasantry, and then the gray for your nobles. And a lot of them have the same symbols. Uh, they'll just do different variations of like food, wood, stone. Um, obviously, only certain ones will have the trade goods because those are like manufactured things. So only the blue dice and like the, the gray dice will have those. The church has a quill on it, which will let you re-roll a skull, which is very helpful. Because um, whenever you roll all your dice, you can roll up to three times. But if you roll a skull, you have to keep it. And so you're not allowed to re-roll that die anymore. And the more skulls you roll, the worse a disaster that happens on you. Well, not always on you. Sometimes the disaster occurs to everybody else. So if you roll three skulls, remember, then everybody else has to apply a yeah. scorched territory. 
or scorched, yeah, territory to their Yeah, there's their five land. different areas, the five different results that can happen on a disaster roll. And if you, um, there's two of them that will actually affect someone else. And if you roll a certain number of skulls on your dice, it usually affects you. You got to get rid of a building or a resource or something else. If you roll, yeah, like you said, three skulls, then somebody had all other players have to put one of these scorched areas down and you're not allowed to build on those. And late in the game, if you run out of room, you have to, and you have to put one down, you got to get rid of buildings to make it fit. Yeah, that sucks when that happens. Yeah. And then another one is, uh, what was that? I can't remember. It's like treachery. No, that was, that was that one. There's another one that makes everyone else have to get like just straight up lose a building. It's like a raid or something like that. We've had that happen once or twice and it sucks. Yeah, you roll five skulls because I did that the last time we played. Um, I just figured go for more skulls and let's see how this, this shindig works out. And yeah. it worked out well for me. <laughs> and so every one of your dice is basically like a part of your population. So your yellow dice are your peasants, your blue dice are your burgers or your you know merchants. Your gray dice are your nobles and your white dice are your clerks. Um, for the churches and monasteries and stuff. And so every one of those, you have to have one food for every turn to feed those dice. Otherwise, you gain skulls, which would take points away at the end of the game. Uh, your nobles and your uh, white dice, your clerks, they will give you um, culture, which will give you points at the end of the game. So that's kind of like another thing you can work towards. Some of the other higher-up buildings are, are like multipliers, like each building will give you a certain number of points. Uh, the uh, high-end buildings at the end will multiply your points. The church gives you more points per, or the cathedral, sorry, will give you points per for every dice you have. The guild hall will give you points for every resource you have left over, stuff like that. So you, you can really build a strategy around what you want to do, which, of course, you're best at, um, and which is why you usually win. Although I think I took a couple of these games. You did. This is always what I really like about this game, and I like I do like games. Don't get me wrong. I like a good blowout, just like giggity, whatever. Um, like just beating the crap out of you in a game. However, my favorite games are the ones where we never know who the winner's going to be until the very end, and it's always very close. This is one of those games where it's always really close. Yeah. I think Symphony one time kind of our daughter kind of blew us out once. Um, no, that wasn't a blowout. That was there was a three point difference between each of us. For no, a second I thought and third there place. was one time where she had like a ten no. or twelve point, which is pretty big in this game. No, this the last time we played this was three players, and it was three points spread between like three points between each of us. Like it was really close, and each of us did something really different. We focused on completely different things, and we just the ones just edged out the others. And one of the things that I've noticed you always go for is this little, uh, you'll get uh, 10 bonus points for having the largest walled-in area. Oh, yeah. So if you connect, if you build a full walled-in area before the game is over, whoever has the largest walled-in area will get bonus points. And then you get double points for any building touching a wall. Uh, so, you know, you're actually, you can actually build like this walled-in little space and then you have your stuff outside. So... Again, I, I love games where, like, the narratives build themselves when there is no narrative, and this is one of those. It's like, oh, what sort of town am I going for? What sort of noble am I going to be? Um, there's also very limited interaction between the other players. Yeah, and you, you just kind of do your own thing. Yeah, there's, you do, there's, a, there's not a lot of downtime waiting on someone else to take their turn. 
uh, choosing buildings you go in order because when buildings run out, like that's it, they're gone. So, you know, you it's important to go in turn order if you have at least three players in this um, for picking out buildings because if one runs out, the other person could be like, oh, crap, I wanted that one. But, you know, it's tough luck. And uh, that will trigger the end of the game too is when certain buildings, when so many buildings are out, um, you flip one of these tiles over to an X or, or tokens over to an X. And after so many, then the game's over and it adjusts to the size there. But you don't interact with players a lot other than, you know, if you've rolled skulls that will do something to them, which there's only two out of the five circumstances that could happen. And then your noble dice which have uh, swords on them. They're the only ones that have swords. And this is where the nobles are like, you know, positioning and, and bragging and threatening and jockeying for power and all their, you know, jostling for power and all this stuff. And so whoever decides to keep swords at the very last step of a turn is called the extortion turn. And anyone who, whoever has the most swords can take something from other players. And it, it can be multiple players can get something there too because it's basically... Whoever has more swords than someone else can pick one of the people that has less than them to take from. So if you have three or four players, you can actually wind up with one person with three swords, one with two, one with one, and then one with like four shields, which protects them from the swords. It's like one die face on the gray die. And so you can have multiple people getting things that turn, but they're extorting from somebody who was basically weaker than them with less swords on the die. And so we never really cared about that too much when we played, you know, the two of us, unless we wound up with like a sword roll that we just couldn't get rid of after our multiple re-rolls. It becomes a little more interesting when you get like a third and fourth person involved. Well, really, I think it has to do with the fact that we had a bratty 13-year-old with us who really just likes to mess with her parents and try and ruin everything that we do. And so I'm pretty sure she just loved getting the swords and trying to take our shit. This is true. <laughs> Although she's also very strategic minded. She and is. if that is not a good venture and she needs something else from that die, she will not hesitate to go for it. Yeah, but this game, yeah, this game I felt like she was having fun with that part. I mean, we've played this several times since we got it because it really, we really liked it. Um. I like the fact that there's not a lot of downtime and that, you know, you can still interact with other players to a small degree, but really you're just kind of doing your own thing and trying to make sure that you're maximizing what your, your strategy, what you're trying to do. And then everyone else is like kind of doing their own thing. I like the building aspect of it. I love the building it's, aspect of it. We love just building games, period, though. It's um, like but, Tetris because here's the other thing. You can't have... Like, you think, oh, well, how hard can this be? Well, you can't have your buildings all clustered together because if you roll the wrong skull set, then you're going to get a plague that's going to come through and kill off your population. So, yeah. so, you know, you really, it's like, you have to be really strategic about where you're placing your buildings, that you're not minimizing future potential growth, you know, all of those things. The only thing that helps is a hospital, but I would say the most anybody's been able to get a hospital is maybe one hospital on their land. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's really, it's that's what I love about it. it. It is like Tetris, and I I played Tetris a lot growing mm -hmm. up. I love Tetris. <laughs> when they even show you as a reminder for your buildings, each building is shaped differently as well. So each one is like just like Tetris, different shapes for um, the, the different shapes, different things. Like there's no buildings that, are shaped like other ones. So all your longhouses are shaped the same. All your um, churches are shaped the same. All your farms shaped the same. 
And yeah, you if you have any buildings that are touching each other and you roll uh, two skulls, which is very easy to roll, uh, anything that's touching is going to cost you, is going to put a skull onto your um, unrest-like disaster step there, cost you points at the end of the game. Unless they're touching a hospital, um, which looks appropriately like the cross-shaped hospital sign. And that only will do so much for you. And yeah, the most we've seen is one of those in a game come out for any individual player. And it will only do, again, it will only do so much because it's only the buildings that are directly touching the hospital, not buildings that are touching the buildings touching the hospital. And so it is, yeah, like you really have to plan out. You can't just like throw a bunch of buildings down. You have to look at what's going on. And again, if you cluster things together and you wind up with not any strategic space and somebody forces you to put down a scorched earth, you're losing buildings. Yeah. Which can cost you all kinds of points at the end. With this game, I felt like the right way to do this is to play it through once just to understand and kind of see how everything places. And then your second game is really when you can go, okay, Going into the game, here's the strategy that I'm going to play the game with. Because it is it is a, a, a little bit of a strategy game. Um, you kind of want to pick a path and stick with it, and then that's when you do well, typically. Especially when you're building walls, um, and you plop a building down where you just wanted a wall to go and you didn't think about it, and now you've totally ruined your entire plan to wall oh, in your town. That's right. I remember when that happened. <laughs> That was... And you've totally exposed your people to barbarians, and now, you know, everyone, they're, like, killing everyone in your village, and you're done, and you're a terrible noble. And (laughs) next thing you know, it's the French Revolution, and it's your fault. So. (laughs) Yeah. I I definitely think this is one where it's not hard to catch on or anything. I think that just going, okay, how does it all score up at the end? It's helpful to play through and actually go through the scoring process. Then when you play it again, you're like, okay... I know how each of these moves impacts the score at the end, so I can come up with this is how I'm going to to win. There is my biggest complaint about this game was the one rule that I had to go back and forth on. I was looking up. Um, I just I don't know. It just didn't click. Like once it did click, it made perfect sense, of course. I don't remember. What's the rule? Uh, it was the one where so on your board, you know, again, off to the side, you have your culture track and your. Um, disaster track. So culture looks yep. like the books, the disasters look like the skulls. Well, on the dice, they're also called disaster uh, results. Um, but the difference is, is when you roll skulls on your dice, that directly refers to, because you get a little screen to go in front of your board so that you can, you know, roll your dice in secret and everything before revealing them when you've decided on them. Um, any dice rolled you refer to the screen there because it has, you don't have to open the rule book. It has the disaster track right there. And on the, on that disaster track with the one to five results, if you hit five or more skulls, it's like you get the worst result. There's nothing after that. But the dice, the skulls that come up on your dice refer to that track. And so if you roll one skull on your uh, dice, you get the bandits, which is you either pay um, a resource or you gain one skull on your track. If you roll three skulls on your dice, that is the treachery result. That's where every other player has to put a scorched earth uh, piece on their board. Rolling three skulls on your dice does not mean three skulls goes on your disaster track on your next to your culture count. It doesn't add three skulls to, to where you lose points for that at the end of the game. You only move the peg down 
on the disaster track when you are told to by the disaster that occurs. So if you roll one skull, and that's a bandit result, and you don't pay the one resource, then you get a skull on your, on your counter track. If you roll uh, two skulls and you get the plague result, it says to add a skull for every building that's touching another building without the hospital coming into play. So you would add skulls for every building in that case. You don't add the two skulls that you rolled. And so the instructions didn't really seem real clear because they're both referred to as disaster. So I, I, like, I probably would have changed the, even just changing the name of that track next to the book to like the unrest track or like the unhappiness track or something to differentiate it from the disasters, from the disaster track on the, the screen card and the results from the dice would have helped clarify that a little bit. I mean, maybe I'm just an idiot, but it, it, that just did not click with me. It took me a couple of reads and like looking up some rules and stuff to try to figure out what was going on there. But that was really my only problem with the game, short of like the board. I don't like like the, the, the yellow pegboard. Like I wish they had done just anything else, like green, you know, so that it would look like grass or something. Um, but like the bright yellow pegboard, um, I wasn't a big fan of it. It's still high quality, though. It was still yeah. high quality made. I don't think that the—I yeah, see where you're coming from. I don't think it impacted our game or anything as far as that rule. Um, you know, I think the the mechanics of it were really interesting to me um, because it wasn't like a, a definitive, you're going to get points deducted from you or whatnot. Um, I think the, the part that's really common across these type of games is the famine. If you don't feed your people— if you don't focus on food, <laughs> you are going to be royally screwed. <laughs> I think yeah. you had a game where you couldn't feed, like... Starvation will hurt if you Yeah, can. you were not able to feed consistently for a couple of rounds, and it really hurt you. And the food caps out at 10, so you can't have any more than what's on your board. So if you get 10 dice and your food caps out at 10, like, that's it. You can't go any higher than 10. You're, you're overcrowded at that point. I'll have to double check the rules. I can't remember if, uh, and this, I don't know if this makes me like a bad podcast host, but I can't remember if you're like, you cap out at 10 dice. I'd have to double check the rule book. Um, because if not, it's like, you're going to overcrowd at that point and there's no way you can feed all of them because you can only go up to 10 food. That's it. Yeah. And I would say the more dice you get, the more farmhouses you should have to offset. I always try and have half the farmhouses, um, of the number of die. Yeah, it is neat the way they have the building set up because, again, they have a color coding system, you know, for, for different things. And then each one kind of goes into a category. So you have, a, you have your, your each colored building that will give you a dice. So like your longhouse give you the yellow peasant die. The merchant house gives you the blue uh, burger die. The churches give you the white clerk die. And then the keep gives you the gray noble die. You can build more keeps too. Uh, they just look like little towers next to your walls. And so that's how you get the dice by building those. And then you have um, certain buildings that will give you automatically generated stuff. So the farms will give you one extra food every turn. So you build multiple farms, you get multiple extra food every turn. It's a yellow building. It gives you food to, you know, feed the peasants um, and well on everybody else. And then um, 
If you build a lumber mill, you automatically get wood every turn. And um, the and, and the monastery uh, doesn't give you like automatic anything, but it, it will let you like uh, place a die after your first roll. So it's like you got a chance getting skulls at first. But after your first roll, you're allowed to place any one die for every monastery you have to any face you want. So it lets you have some control over your dice. And then you have like the in the the interior buildings, which give you like big point boosts. So the market um, is an orange building. The market and hospital are both orange buildings because they're kind of different. The hospital protects you from the plagues. It'll negate that whole like uh, every any building touching um, for those that touch it. And the market will give you uh, points for every clear space around it. So it encourages you keeping the market clear, which makes sense. Uh, the cathedral, like we said, will give you bonus for your cult or your dice because, you know, people are attracted to the cathedral and all of that. Uh, the guild house gives you bonus points for your resources, of course. And then the university gives you bonus points for every culture point you have, of course. So I like how the buildings are kind of separated into those categories from like dice generators, um, sort, sort of like automatic bonus generator, um, point generators, and then like some utility ones like the the hospital and stuff like that. So what do you think is the hardest resource to gain on this? Trade goods. Yeah. I think. I'd agree too. All the dice have food, wood, and stone. Uh, food and wood, you can build buildings to even automatically generate that. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to change my answer. I'm going to say stone. Because once you get, like you can start out with the ability to get uh, a few dice for uh, the trade goods. And then you can build more. But the stone, there's no way to automatically generate it. And it's kind of straddling that gap between, because um, you only need trade goods for some of the higher end, for some of the bigger buildings, you know. And you don't really need a ton of them unless you're going for certain buildings. Um, but stone, there's no way to automatically generate it. And you need it for like a lot of key buildings. Well, see, I, I tend to not really have a problem getting stone. It's the trade goods. I can, I'm usually pretty limited on the high-end buildings because the trade goods are so hard. And like the last game, everybody was stealing my trade goods. So <laughs> there's a bunch I, of little thieves. I like stealing your trade goods. I know. So what, um, what strategy do you use? I'm not sure you have one, if I'm being really honest, but what um, strategy do you use to try and... Once I have, like, buildings and stuff, I just see... This is kind of like a medieval Sim City. Like, it, it really... It feels like medieval Sim City when playing this game, and so I'm like a kid in a toy store just, like, playing with my toys. And I try to find a good area to block off to go for that wall bonus, but I don't, like, break my back trying to make it happen. I try to generate food where I can, and otherwise I'll go for one of two things. I'll either try to go for a bunch of culture uh, and then get that bonus at the end, or I will go for uh, some sort of like multiplier. I don't know. You're, you're much more of a strategy person than I am, yeah. um, whereas I've learned to just kind of have fun where I can because beating you is not often <laughs> the most likely. Um. But I usually always try to leave space for that walled-in area. Otherwise, I go for multipliers, and I'll focus on either culture or resources, and then I'll try to do some, like, some extra points in there to pad it out. See, I always, I always know I'm going to go for the wall bonus. 
That's just my thing. And I'm always watching to see what other people are doing if I need to go one further. No, to you always like pick, like, the one thing that you do every game. And I tend to know what they are. <laughs> but for some reason, I still can't see Because it's like when I try to go do that, you wind up, like, uh-huh. trying to do something else to pad out where you're getting your, your points from and beat me anyway. Yeah, I, I'm pretty good at pivoting. But I... I I always go for the wall bonus. And then the other thing that I do is early on, I try and get stuff that's going to auto-generate resources. Um, so the auto-generation of the lumber mi- from the lumber mill and then from the farms. And then a little bit later on, I start accumulating more dye. Um, I think that's... Whatever. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? Really, tenth grade Literally. English teacher, Literally. you're gonna correct me this right is now. Board game lingo. <laughs> like, I, anyways, we're... anyways, I'm the normie of, of the <laughs> two of us. <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah, I try and go for building up the resources so that I can expand. It's kind of this crazy concept that I don't think a lot of cities I know here in Reno they don't um, think about growth and <laughs> how do I support the growth before it's here <laughs> but that's kind of how how I strategize this I think there's only been maybe once that I kind of got caught pretty pretty bad um that's the only thing I can really hope for is that you will flub your strategy and then I can smell blood water and pounce on it <laughs> so this this game actually does come with an expansion too and we haven't bought it and I don't think I'm going to after checking it out like we've I think we've said that when it comes to expansions we like expansions that will just kind of enhance and kind of add on to the game as it is not like disrupt it or or you know make change too much make it overly complicated or you know seem to be reaching just to try to add some more to the game by reaching for concepts and even though there's some cool looking stuff in this expansion it's called the rivers and roads expansion it has uh well roads rivers and gates and bridges and some new buildings but you really have a limited space to work with on your on your board yeah and so when you add in you know like a water mill here and you know rivers and roads and, and bridges and all these other things you've already got enough to work with because the farms are all Pretty good size. You're going to want several of those. Uh, the cathedrals are huge. I had two of those on my map in the last one that we played, and it took up a giant chunk of the board. So I just don't know what would happen if you add like even more stuff like this in there. Yeah, even with three players, when our daughter was playing with us, we it took a long time for us to... Well, well let me clarify. This game is not a long game to play. But it it definitely, I was surprised at how much time it took for us to meet the the parameters for ending the game. Um, our boards were completely full. I think by the time we ended the game, I was sitting here going, I don't know where I'm going to set anything else. Well, let's be honest. When we played the first time, um, it says that when, when you have two to three, three players it is when three types of buildings have run out game's over and with four players when you run out of five buildings it's game over and so when we played the first time i accidentally read that as i i thought they meant like colors 
So when all white buildings are gone or all brown buildings are gone, no, like actual buildings. So lumber mills, longhouses, hospitals, of which there, I think there's only like two or three of some of the other buildings. And even then, in smaller games and two-player games, you take a copy of each building out so that there's like, you know, um, it doesn't go on forever like that. But I totally read that wrong. And yeah, our boards were completely full the first time we played it. No, but even the last time we played with Symphony, like it was, my board was super crowded. And I specifically remember going, oh crap, when this comes back around, I don't know where I'm going to be able to get any. The only thing I can get is a little farmhouse. Well, we were picking a large variety of buildings too. That is um, true. That last round. There was, was nothing probably. that was running out because we were all kind of like buying different stuff. I mean, it was only uh, Symphony and I that were uh, getting churches. Yeah, and, and then doing churches. And then only you were buying. I mean, there was a couple of us that bought the the, the blue merchant houses, but there's, you know, a few of those on there because they're like the basic way you get one of your important dice. Um, I bought both the monasteries. Yeah, both the monasteries. Nobody was buying really any lumber mills. So it just, yeah, we were buying such a wide array of buildings that they weren't running out all that fast. Yeah. But if somebody really focused on something like, yeah, it can be a pretty quick game. I think uh, just it just depends. It's it can go for either quite a while or somebody's really focused on a certain strategy or buildings. I think it can run a lot faster. Well, I would give this like a two thumbs up or whatever. Both my thumbs. <laughs> I would give that this, is that's two thumbs up. <laughs> I would give this a two thumbs up though for for really for two player or even more. I think it plays really well as two players and. Frankly, I think this is a great date night game. I had so much fun. Now, I love going to the glass die. I love sitting down with you, playing a board game, having a nice glass of wine. Like, I thoroughly enjoy that. But um, this is definitely a game that I think a lot of people could enjoy. Um, and it's a great two-player game. Yeah, it's not overly complicated, not real complex. I uh, I think we need to come up with a rating system. Pretty sure somebody's already got the two thumbs up thing taken. Fine. And Fine. so, yeah, we're going to have to add a rating system now. I think that'll be fun. So look we out for We can bring in my engineering stuff and go priority one. This is priority one. Everyone go get one. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Fine. Sorry. No, that does not sound fun at all. Uh, and you think this is a great date night game. Because we did it on a date night. Like, we haven't been able to go back on a date night since this. No, but you and I have taken no, time we've, to we've, ourselves at the house. No, we've, yeah, we've done other stuff. But it's like, we need to go back out and do this again, where we go out. And I think we need to make it a thing to where we go out and we play a game. Like, something different. has to be something different. Something we haven't played before. Yeah. And then we come back and we talk about it on here. And we probably will end up buying it because probably. that's what we do. Yeah. But I have to say, again, hun, like when I say date night, like, yes, this was an actual date where we went out and everything. But we also date each other at home. Like, well, Don't be offended that I didn't say, I'm like, no offended. more date night. I am not being offended. First of I'm all, just you don't have to defend yourself about having <sighs> date nights here so to all, like, five people listening to this. <laughs> Okay. I'm just saying, this is a great way for people to spend time together. 
It is, but so we're like half the board games we play. No, there's some board games where I want to rip your head off. <laughs> and that's yeah. not that's not a great healthy way to spend time together. No. But <laughs> you kind of just made it look like we're total liars when we said that we don't get like <laughs> No. But sore like sore loser rage. <laughs> for the what's the one where you go to Valhalla? Oh, Blood Rage? Yeah, Blood Rage. Blood Rage. <laughs> that game I should be in that kind of mood yeah. where I want to rip your head off. <laughs> yeah. And so that's probably not a game where it's like, oh, let's let's talk. Let's reconnect. Like, there's no, like, you could play this game and not think things through. Or you can be like me and be super strategic. But, but you can sit down and have a conversation with the other person because you're not so wrapped up in the rules and the next move and all of these things. That's what I'm getting all to. Right, it's not like right. risk or... You're having to pay attention to so many different things. Like, this is a really simple game. Or playing a game to where apparently you look at your significant other and go, I love you, but I really want you to just fuck off and die. Yeah, we have several of those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of like the next one they talk about. <laughs> What's the next one? Well, I can't say right here. I want to make it a surprise. Oh, well, that's <laughs> that's not very nice to them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all half dozen of our listeners. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. Echelon. We might talk about Echelon next time. Oh, so. yeah. I think we should reach out to the person or the people who made the game. Yeah, that's a cool game. That's a very good thematic uh, strategy-invoking game. So, yeah, that's probably what we'll talk about next time is Echelon. But if you haven't played Era, go out. It's kind of hard to find copies now. Um, they When we played it at the Glass Die... They ran out and uh, they didn't have any more because we wanted to buy it. We're like, we like this so much. We were ready to buy it from them right there. And they didn't have any copies. I think they had just run out too. I think yeah. that's what she had said. And trust me when I say when I try to find a board game or a video game or even a movie and it's out and can't be found, I will scour hell and earth or, to try to find it. Or you'll sick my dad on it. Or your, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell Bobo that, you know, something can't be done. <laughs> Next thing you know, I've got an Xbox. <laughs> so I've sicked him on a PS5 too. Um, but yeah, like I, I went to all the different game stores and the, the in town and there we have multiple board game stores and places to find them in town. Nobody had had them or never even heard of them or ever heard of it. And so I went on to Amazon because like, oh, they have some on Amazon. And they did, and I just didn't pull the trigger on it. I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll wait just a, a little bit on this. We're playing some other stuff right now. And uh, the next, and when I went, finally went to go get it, they didn't have any. And the only ones available on eBay or on Amazon were all ready price. This is like a $60 game. Um, it's, it's, you know, kind of average price for, you know, the size of the game that it is. And the only ones you could find were for like $80. That was it. And so, I, I wound up finding one uh, through another marketplace because I was like, I'm not paying like a rare price for this, even though as much as we loved it is like, I'm just, I'm not doing it. Just like I won't pay a thousand dollars for a PS5. So Gosh, you're so angry. You know what though? You can find it. I'm looking on eBay right now and you can find it. I, I don't know. Oh, this is new and sealed for $60 plus $21 shipping. Yeah, that's, pr that's probably overseas. So, 
That's probably that overseas shipping. So still, you're still paying like 80 bucks for no, it. No, it ships from Houston, Texas. Come on, Texas. Get it together. <laughs> Let's not offend the Texans, please. <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So, yeah, if you can find a copy, it's well worth getting your hands on one. Uh, it's, like I said, it's a great casual game. Well, I guess not casual. It's It's not complicated, though. That was the one hardest rule that I had figuring out. Otherwise, everything is there printed on the back of those little screens in front of your, for in front of you. It has what all the disasters do, what all the buildings cost, what all their points are. Like practically everything is right there. And everything is tracked out there on the pegboard for everything. It's, and it is, uh, it's just not the easiest to find, unfortunately. So if you can get your hands on one, I highly recommend it. Sounds like you highly recommend it. And, yeah, this was a fun surprise. It was really great to see how this came out and when, and what we found with it. Again, I probably wouldn't get the expansion. I don't have any plans on getting it or trying it. I am maybe sometime down the road. I don't know. Um, I'm not opposed to expansions, as you'll find out in like several other games we're going to talk about, because I have tons of expansions for you know certain games um, that I felt just, that just, again, added to the game itself and not just tried to over-muddle things. So we do have a picture up right here that shows somebody that painted their entire freaking set. And it's like, man, don't make me want to do this, please. Like, this looks really cool, but I really don't want to go through and paint all those buildings and walls. So uh, if you can find somebody that you can maybe commission to do that, good on you. Yeah, well, I found the game on Amazon, and they're claiming that there's only two left in stock. And it's $85. Yeah. When this is normally, I believe, like a $60 game. Yeah, it is. $50, $60. So. This is the expansion. Sounds like you might have to pay a little bit of a, like, luxury rarity fee. Um, Otherwise, I think that is a, I think that's plenty about this. Did you have anything else you wanted to say on this game? Was there anything we missed? No, I'm pretty sure we repeated ourselves like five times. No, we didn't. Yeah, we're good. I'll make it a point to not repeat ourselves okay. as much as possible. Unless you want us to repeat ourselves, you can always come, like, find me and tell me. Nope. Not in person, though. Like, find my email, put it on my Facebook page. Anyways, I think we're good. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Hello Meeples Podcast. That's all for now.